Hello and welcome to the latest Law Behind the Headlines podcast. I'm Keith Jones, I'm a partner in the uh, Waitman's National Disease Team and I'm joined once again today by Richard Burroughs, Principal Associate, uh, who also works with me along with the disease team. Uh, hi Richard, welcome, thanks for coming along. Cheers, thank you Keith. Um, today's topic relates to uh, the latest in the Johnson & Johnson talc litigation in the United States, um, which is previously something which was potentially a risk in the UK. And there's been recent developments that have seen that risk become more real. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, that's right, Keith. Uh, so one of the founding partners of the legal firm, which was successful in securing billions of dollars of compensation for US claim- claimants, uh, or plaintiffs as they're known in the US, um, who had allegedly developed cancer from the use of Johnson & Johnson's talcum powder, is now looking to bring similar claims in the UK. So this partner's joined forces with a number of barristers in the UK to set up uh, a firm which specialises in talc litigation claims, uh, and they've already set up a dedicated website which um, is there to attract potential claimants to register their, their interest in bringing a uh, personal injury claim. Okay, so that suggests that um, we could possibly be brought uh, in the future in the UK as well, um, or there's a risk of that certainly. Um, it'd be useful, I think, if you could start taking us right back to the start and what's the connection between asbestos and talc and how some talcum powder powder became contaminated with asbestos. So talc and asbestos are both naturally occurring minerals. Um, Talcum powder is predominantly made of of talc, um, surprisingly, um, which is composed of hydrated magnesium silicates. Um, So when talcum powder is manufactured, the the mineral talc is ground down until it's a fine powder, which has the properties which it's well known for. So it absorbs moisture and it also reduces friction. The contamination has occurred as during the mining process to extract the talc, um, some naturally occurring asbestos has also been disturbed. Now, sometimes talc and asbestos can occur naturally very close together, and that makes it very difficult for mining practices to actually separate the two from one another. Right, so we can see that talc and powder could be contaminated with asbestos. I mean, how many claims have been brought in the United States? Is it just a handful? Are we talking about hundreds of thousands of claims? So litigation arising out of the use of Johnson & Johnson's talc and powder has been bubbling away for a number of years. Um, probably for the best part of the decade, claims have been brought in relation to asbestos contamination of a number of bottles of Johnson & Johnson's bottles of powder, and it got to the point where they didn't actually know which batches would be contaminated or, or not. Um, so sources vary when referring to the quantity of these claims, but it's believed that probably in excess of 30,000 have actually been brought so far, and the numbers are increasing over time. Um, so going back to 2014, for example, less than 1,000 claims were brought but by October 2021, um, in 2021 alone at that point, so within that 10-month period, um, 12,000 claims have been brought, uh, and that's likely due to the marketing campaigns that were run in the US in relation to these claims, which is obviously something which we could potentially see replicated here in the UK. Well, that's certainly a lot of claims then. I mean, what are these claims for? I mean, how are plaintiffs alleging that Johnson & Johnson were at fault? So some research suggests that Johnson & Johnson have actually been aware that their talc has been contaminated for many years and possibly going back as early as the 1970s, but this hasn't been explicitly confirmed. Uh, so the plaintiffs in the US were suggesting that due to lengthy use of talc-containing products, um, they developed predominantly ovarian cancer uh, or in some instances mesothelioma. So the claims were product liability claims and the plaintiffs brought their actions against Johnson & Johnson as the manufacturer of the talcum powder. So it was effectively alleged that Johnson & Johnson knew that their products had been contaminated with asbestos, yet they continued to sell the same to consumers. Right. I mean, you mentioned at the start about plaintiffs in the United States being awarded billions of dollars. 
I mean, I can imagine that's because of the differences in the legal system between us and the United States, to be fair. And I can't recall uh, sums at that level being awarded for any personal injury claimants in the UK, whatever they're injuring. Yeah, as you say, Keith, the US legal system is completely different to the UK, and, and they tend to hand out much greater awards for damages than we're used to seeing in the UK courts. So one example, in July 2018, a, a jury in Missouri uh, awarded 22 women who had allegedly developed ovarian cancer due to the use of talc $550 million for their injuries and an additional $4.1 billion in punitive damages. And that's absolutely eye-watering, so you, you wouldn't want to be requesting the payment on that claim. Uh, it, it was eventually halved in 2020 when it was discovered that some of the claimants ought not to have been included in the action as they actually resided outside of Missouri. Uh, and that's, again, one of the sort of nuances of the US legal system in that there's differences in the legal systems of various different states, even within the, the US. Well, they're certainly eye-watering figures, aren't they? Um, so how are things currently stand in the US? Are still claims being submitted and brought? Uh, yeah, as far as I'm aware, the, the claims continue to be brought in increasing numbers as, as time goes by. Um, Johnson & Johnson have now actually removed their talc products from sale across the globe, uh, and they've actually shifted to replacing the, the talc-containing elements um, to cornstarch-containing elements now instead. Uh, but that, that obviously doesn't turn back the clock and it doesn't remedy any potential exposure in the past by previous consumers. Um, so claims are still likely going to be brought for, for many years to come. So that's the situation in the United States where obviously claims are still well under the way and progressing. What do you think we can expect in the UK? Do you think we'll see similar volumes here? Um, well, from the work that you and I have done, Keith, we're, we're both familiar with volume and bulk litigation claims. So I anticipate it will be similar, a similar situation to whiplash claims and claims for noise-induced hearing loss in that we will potentially see some firms. Indeed, we've already got the first one here on our shores, uh, as mentioned earlier in this um, talk, uh, specialising solely or at least heavily uh, in these claims, uh, driving marketing campaigns focused on attracting potential claimants uh, and raising awareness of talcum powder contamination. What's actually interesting from the media coverage uh, which this threat of a wave of claims has attracted to date, uh, is that actually no potential claimants have yet come forward. Now, that might be because it's still difficult and perhaps not completely certain that talc does cause ovarian cancer, uh, and even the medical evidence which has been relied upon in the US is questionable. Cancer Research UK, um, for example, is actually arguing that the evidence of a link between um, use of talc-containing products and ovarian cancer it is weak and still needs more research to be carried out to, to prove on the, the balance of probabilities. Um, it says that there are a number of other factors which attract a higher risk of developing ovarian cancer than using talc. So it might therefore be difficult for claimants to uh, establish, the, um, with the proof being on them, um, based on the expert evidence available to date, that use of talcum powder can actually cause ovarian cancer. So clearly causation is going to be difficult on these cases. Um, so with that in mind, what do, you think, what do you predict for the likelihood of the future of UK talc claims? Do you think there's a possible talk of a class action? Is that likely? Um, well, noting that a firm has already been specifically set up to deal with these claims in the UK, it, it does suggest that they will likely be brought in the, the coming years. Um, but that said, we have had similar situations in the past, for example, with claims for opioid dependency and head injuries in sports, um, which have both moved at a much slower pace in the UK than their corresponding claims in the US. So it isn't a certainty, and it isn't a certainty exactly when the claims will be brought. But I think until potential claimants come forward to explore bringing a claim, we, we can't actually know for certain what number of claims will be brought or indeed what appetite there is for doing so. The average person in the general public 
uh, will unlikely have been keeping an eye on litigation in the US, so they may be unaware of the connection between ovarian cancer and possibly mesothelioma and, and talc exposure and use. But once this awareness increases, that may see a corresponding increase in the interest in pursuing these claims. As to whether a class action akin to what was brought in the US will be brought, such actions are far less common in the UK, with claimants more likely to pursue their own claim individually, albeit on occasion some claims are consolidated if they're for the same injury and arising out of the same circumstances. So just because class actions are less common doesn't mean that they're an impossibility. In my opinion, one thing which is likely more certain is that the damages awarded to any successful claimants in the UK are going to be far less than those in the US. The English and Welsh courts will rarely award damages in the millions and billions of pounds, uh, and our judicial college, judicial college guidelines, uh, which set out recommendations of general damages awards for various injuries, are, are much more conservative than the unlimited and punitive awards which we've seen in the US. Well, thanks, Richard. As always, that was extremely insightful. And I think with the lots of other emerging trends and risks, this will be one to watch. And I think it's properly at a much more advanced stage than some of the other risks that were on the horizon. Um, that's all for this edition of Law Behind the Headlines. Hopefully you found it useful and insightful. As ever, please do not hesitate to contact myself or Richard if you've got any questions around this or any other previous uh, Law Behind the Headlines podcasts. Uh, and please also continue to subscribe to our channel and we'll let you know when the next episode is available. Thanks very much for joining us. Goodbye.